When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to I'm So Obsessed, where we talk with actors, artists, and creators about their work, career, and current obsession. I'm your host, Patrick Holland, and today my guest is the actor, writer, comic, and podcast star, John Hodgman. Now, you may know him best from his time on The Daily Show with Jon Stewart or from playing PC in Apple's ad campaign, Mac and PC. John's latest project is the second season of his animated show, Dicktown, where he plays a once notable boy detective who has grown up into a less notable adult. The series features John alongside David Reese and is animated by Floyd Studios, who are behind the show, Archer. Take a listen to the trailer for Dicktown. What's up, Taggy's Angel? Hey, Taggy. No, so we just, no, we just phone. Y'all ready for your next case? I'm John Hunchman. This is my associate, David Purefoy. We're here to solve your mystery. Hey, kids, need a hot analytical mind? What's the case? What are we doing here? Taggy, we have never fought ninjas. Guys, look, you gotta put your intention into the universe. Let's let's talk a little bit about the history because this was like a segment on a show called Cake and now it's kind of spun off to its own thing. Um, you reference, you play a character named John Hunchman, who lives in Richardsville, North Carolina, yes. which is where we get the nickname Dick Town. Yes. And uh, he was a boy detective. Right. He's a detective. So there, so the, 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 there are a lot of dicks involved. <laughs> uh, John Hunchman is, once was a very famous, uh, nationally famous, certainly regionally famous boy detective in Richardsville, North Carolina, which is known as Dicktown to the locals. And of course, a dick, a, pri a private dick is a, another term for a detective. Um, the title was inspired to some degree by uh, the They Might Be Giant song, Can't Keep Johnny Down, which has a lyric in it, which is none of the, none of the dicks in this Dicktown can keep Johnny down. Um, so that, that was part of the inspiration. But the real inspiration came when Kate Lambert from FX came to uh, David Reese and me um, uh, to say, have you guys got anything that you might want to do together in the animated world, short form animation for this anthology show that we're creating called Cake that, that as you know, showcased, we, you know, I interesting and weird animated and non-animated shows as a kind of showcase in an incubation lab, et cetera. And David and I had coincidentally been talking about wanting to do an animated show together again. We worked on some old thing called Codefellas, which was something that David created with Brian Spinks years ago. So I said to David, uh, why don't we have my character be a, a, a genius detective who is famous as a boy detective, but who has failed to basically failed at life and is now, you know, pushing middle age and is still stuck in his little town and 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 um he's hot and you, david's character would be 
my character's former high school bully and arch nemesis, who has also failed to thrive and is living in his his parents' basement. And uh, therefore, I, I hire him to be my sort of hired muscle and driver and ultimately unlikely only friend. And David said, that's a good idea. And it would be even better if Hunchman uh, is, uh, it, would be, it would be even better and more humiliating if Hunchman is still solving mysteries for teenagers. He's never expanded his clientele. He's still solving mysteries of the lost talking cards or the missing, you know, the missing club trophy or whatever. David has a very a unique knack for finding out ways to humiliate me. And he was right. It was a much funnier idea. And so that was season one of Dicktown. Um, we, we, we did have, we do have a houseboat. John Hunchman does live on a houseboat, but it is not a cool houseboat. It is a, it is a rather rundown ratty houseboat. What, what's the name of your houseboat? You learn in episode one, uh, excuse me, you learn in season one that, uh, the houseboat is named Heather Culbreth after, uh, after John's, uh, former detecting partner when he was in middle school. There was a, a girl named Heather Culbreth who was also a genius detective, but who moved away. And John had had and continues to have an unrequited uh, affection for her. So that that was a plot line in season one where it's revealed that the, the houseboat's name has been painted over years ago because John felt so embarrassed to have named the boat after her, but she figures it out. And, and all of season one, or I should say, like, is kind of um, is collated and you can uh, watch it currently on, on Hulu, correct? It's a little story that you can watch in anticipation of the season two premiere, which is uh, March the 3rd on FXX at 10 p.m. And that's where I saw the, I got to see the first episode, the, uh, pimento oh, cheese mystery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, so I am caught up a little the, bit. The with mystery that, but... of the missing pimento cheese. <laughs> I love it. And as someone who grew up in the South uh, and who is no longer have easy access to good Southern pimento cheese, I'm, it's like lunchtime right now when we record this. So. Yeah, no, I, I feel you. All right. Um, I like pimento cheese a lot, and I'm getting very hungry for it as well. <laughs> we, as, a, as a wrap gift, David and I commissioned tubs of pimento cheese from the great Neal's Deli in Carborough, North Carolina, and sent them all over this great nation. And uh, to all of our incredible guest cast, and we're talking about uh, Kristen Schaal, uh, Weird Al Yankovic, Jamie Lee Curtis... Uh, John Flansburg of They Might Be Giants uh, uh, contributed a song uh, in this series, bringing everything kind of full circle. Um, so many other great guest stars, Gene Gray, Paul F. Tompkins, uh, John Glazer, and all these national treasures. And we thought it was wise to send them cheese through the mail. I and, think... the and not just cheese, cheese and mayonnaise together. <laughs> and, and, and peppers. Pe you gotta, there's of a pepper course, in there. Of course. Yeah. But let me yeah. point out to you, this is a highly perishable item. We are very lucky. We realized we 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 dodged a pimento cheese bullet on this one that we did not actually poison any of these great talents. You'd have a different headline for Dicktown if that had been the case. Well, I I I don't I don't even like to think about it. But let me ask you this: You mentioned that uh, the character had uh, he and David are were arch enemies or arch nemesis. Did you? Yeah, they hated each other. They hate each other. Did you in high school or in school at all have like an arch nemesis or, no. and if you did, would you ever dream of getting back together with them to, to work on something? No. I mean, I, uh, John Hunchman is an exaggerated version of me. Um, I also like John Hunchman was a weird only child who didn't get a lot of outside time and, and was, 
obsessed with facts and and odd, odd information, um, and also um, uh, desperately afraid of conflict of any kind, including hugging and kissing. <laughs> Any 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 emotionally high stakes uh, con uh, confrontation m made me very nervous, but um, luckily I had people who intervened in my life and helped me to be a whole human being. Hunchman did not have that. Well, and the fact that you classify hugging and kissing as conflict, I think, speaks a lot. Confront emotional confrontation. Emotional confrontation. Okay. Yeah, okay. high stakes emotional confrontation still makes John Hunchman extremely nervous, and me only mildly nervous. But you know, I. I when I was a teenager, I was definitely a, a weirdo, and like Hunchman, kind of celebrated. Um, I, 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 I was well liked, even though I wore a fedora and carried a briefcase instead of a backpack and dressed a lot like Doctor Who. Um, if I had enemies, I didn't know it, and I was not particularly picked on or anything, but I was well liked, kind of by all my peers and and my teachers and all the grown-ups and all the most of the teens liked me fine uh, i was a likable oddball and but also like hunchman you know there were there, people placed a lot of stock in my future there was a feeling that i was going to go far and I, 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 there was definitely a time in my life post college during my working years in new york where i felt that i had let everybody down not that i wasn't you know like I got very lucky because I got kidnapped by John Stewart and put on television and I was given a career that still astonishes me to this day. But for a long time after, you know, once, once you leave adolescence behind you, you stop, there's a moment where you start feeling, you stop feeling like you're becoming something and you start feeling like you're ending up as something. And I think that that obviously happens in, for different reasons in many points in your life, but two big loci of times. And I'm, t I'm, I'm a guy who says the word loci. You know what I'm saying? I Multiple do. Multiple locuses. <laughs> two big times in your life where that could happen would be like when you hit your 20s and then when you hit your late 30s into your 40s. Midlife and that 20, that 20 period, that 20 something period where you kind of feel like it's, it's been all building up to this. And what is it? What does being an adult mean? So, you know, Hunchman didn't handle that particularly well. Uh, I think I handled it a little bit better in real life. Okay, so the name of this podcast, uh, John, is I'm So Obsessed. What are you currently obsessed with? I, I have been obsessed. All right, here's the thing. I am obsessed with finding a replacement for my most recent obsession, which is I've I've I re I read all of the uh, John D. McDonald Travis McGee mysteries. These were written in the '60s, '70s, and '80s. They were a big. My mom, who's no longer living, was a huge fan, and that features a really cool detective who lives on a cool houseboat, and he's a cool <laughs> dude. And that was the inspiration for Hunchman's Houseboat. But I read all of those, and so I'm trying to find. You know, you know when you run out of the thing that you're that you love and you're trying to find the next thing. Like everybody, I've been playing the Wordle um, and I am upset, what I'm obsessed with about the Wordle, I enjoy doing it. It's, I like word games. Um, not as much as I like mind games, but I like word <laughs> games. But this is not a word game, That's a, it's a logic game. It's a, it's a game of, of, but of uh, elimination, you know, mastermind style, which I like. 
But what I'm really obsessed with is is uh, people freaking out over the words on Twitter. It's and it's just really fascinating, and the conspiracy theory that the New York Times, since buying it, has purposefully made it harder, is a real, f which which is not true. They're still using the same word list, but it's just the imprimatur of the New York Times cast the whole thing. So for people who don't know, Wordle is a game where you have six six tries to guess a, a five-letter word. And it became really, really big. It was developed by a guy here in Brooklyn. as a uh, He's a, a software designer of some kind. Uh, he's Welsh by birth, but he lives here in Brooklyn, and he, and he designed it for his partner to play. And she picked out uh, 12,000 five-letter words. And most of them are very n normal, like choke or i don't know what's another five letter word um apart uh clutch apart. give me some of my wordle words now john so we're recording this on march the first this is a spoiler i'm going to tell you what the word is for the wordle on march the first did you do it today patrick i, I did um rupee. I, rupee. Yeah, rupee like the like the, the indian currency uh-huh that's not okay that's not okay that's not a, get that off the word list I'm 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 down with a rupee. I knew the word. I got it. It's one of the few times I got it in three. But you know, it, 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 I get mad that people start. I get mad that adieu is on the word list. A d i e u, farewell in French. It's not a word in English. I don't think that it. I don't think that it is fair to the game. The presumption of the game is these are simple English words, and while and, and rupee isn't one. I mean, it's not a particularly simple word, and it is not. It is, it is, it describes a foreign currency. I, I don't, I didn't like that at all. And obviously everyone on Twitter went bananas. Yeah. I, yeah. I, could, I couldn't agree more. Can I go back though, as, as an etiquette thing? Cause you, you on uh, your podcast, you're oftentimes giving rulings on. The judge John Hodgman podcast comes out every Wednesday for maximum fun. And I am a judge, mm -hmm. a fake judge who presides over disputes between real people over stuff like how to wash the dishes and is a machine gun a robot or not and other weird things like that yes but what would your ruling be because another thing with wordle is people sharing their scores online and it drives some people nuts and other people like love to share it because you you like hey we get to talk about this was a fun word or this was a hard word like what would your ruling be on that is it okay to share uh wordle results on social just media? The, you're talking you're not talking about sharing the word you no, just the result just not the even results. like oh i can't believe it was rupee like nothing like that but like hey i got it in three today or got it in no maybe it's part two. Of, that's part of the game that's i mean that's why people play the game so that they can brag about it it's very braggy <laughs> it is very braggy <laughs> you know what you i mean know. but to me it kind of comes down to um <laughs> it comes down to the the insight that was afforded to me by the boom operator, the microphone boom, the boom microphone operator on the set of the Apple ads one day was on when I was whistling between takes. I was whistling a wonderful tune of some kind, a ditty. I whistled very well. And he said, he came down between takes and he said, you know, John, the thing about whistling is the only person who enjoys whistling is the one who's whistling. Is I'm like, true? right. <laughs> it's, especially, it's especially true if you, if it's your job to have me in your ears all day long if you're mic'd up and the guy <laughs> like and i think that sharing the wordle score is a little bit like whistling but the fact is everybody gets to whistle so whatever you know i don't personally share this i i don't personally share the score
Well, and you've done over 550 episodes of the Judge Hodgman, uh, Judge John Hodgman podcast. Like, how has the show changed you over the years and how have you changed with the show? Well, I think if you were to go back very early on, I was much more in the uh, much more in the mode of the truly offensively pretentious uh, know-it-all expert, the resident expert on The Daily Show, which is the character that I played. I was a real snob and I was real pushy and I was real bossy. But over time, I've, I've softened. And it's ironic that I was sort of the resident expert, snobby know-it-all, because when I started the podcast, I really wanted an outlet where I could, where I wasn't playing a version of myself, but I was just being myself. And yet I guess part of my being myself is being a bossy jerk. <laughs> and over time, uh, I've, I've, I've softened and I've come to appreciate that, you know, life is suffering and everything that's happening all, there are no, every dispute, no matter how small or petty it might seem like how many frozen, the movie frozen themed snow globes are too many, you know, that's that's really that's really a dispute be- between how how much space a partner can take up in a you know in a romantic coupling how much space can they take up either literally or emotionally uh, until the other person starts feeling pushed out you know so <laughs> having your home be entirely devoted to frozen snow globes is not just um a, a kitschy fun habit for one person it's it's feeling pushed out of the relationship by a, another and I'll say that, you know, I've, I've uh, particularly learned a lot through Jesse's, uh, my co-host, Jesse Thorne, who is the founder of Maximum Fun Network. So I feel like I've become a much more thoughtful and, and uh, I mean, I've always been very open-minded, but I've never critiqued myself as much as I have over the years of doing Judge John Hodgman. I think I've come out a little bit better for it. Circling back to Dicktown, I, you, yeah. you mentioned Jesse Thorne, and uh, you talked a little bit about that relationship. You talked a little bit about David Reese, and I think the first time I became aware of him was his artisanal pencil sharpening, which is yes. brilliant. What was the? Do you remember the first time you met David, and what was the impression like? Yeah, I'm going to be working with this guy for the next few oh, years. So yeah, no, I mean, I when in the year uh, 2000, uh, I was in Boston. Um, and you know, I mentioned that my mother is no longer alive. She was on, she was dying and it was a very difficult time. And a very good friend of mine from high school, Jay Evans, uh, handed me a comic that he had picked up at the million year picnic, which is the comic book store in Harvard square, uh, a home, a homemade hand stapled on consignment sale comic that he thought was very funny called my new fighting technique is unstoppable by David Reese. (laughs) And David Reese at the time was a temp in Boston and he was using the office photocopier to create these comics out of clip art and clip art being, you know, public domain, often very crude uh, illustrations, particularly in the nineties, you know, the, the, it was very pixelated art that you would use to illustrate, I don't know, manuals and stuff like a businessman talking on a phone or a potted plant, but it was all clip art of karate guys and karate uh, outfits. And he would, that someone has provided, I guess for karate flyers or something. And he would take these, this clip art of these karate guys and make them face each other. And then just make them say the most hilariously profane things to each other. It was one of the most absurdist 
things and it made me laugh so hard at a time when I needed to really, really laugh hard. And I, you know, after my mom passed away, I spent some time up in Boston as you do. And I did, I did an event there and invited him to it. And I met him and I was like, Oh, I'll be, I'll know this person for the rest of my life. It was just absolute genius, smart, funny, decent guy who went on to make uh, more clip art comics, including the long running, get your war on comic um, in uh, Rolling Stone magazine during the, uh, you know, the invasion of Iraq and, and the, the first decade of the Afghanistan war. Um, and then once uh, George W. Bush was no longer in office, he stopped doing that comic and got into artisanal pencil sharpening. And it's just a mind. And he wrote a book called How to Sharpen Pencils. He's got a great, great couple of seasons of a television show called Going Deep with David Reese because the premise of the pencil sharpening is it's not about the pencil sharpening. It's, it's about the pursuit of perfection and its dangers. And he did a show for a National Geographic channel called Going Deep with David Reese, which you can rent on various streaming platforms now. And I highly encourage you to do it because it's just every episode, it takes something really mundane that you think you know how to do, like how to sharpen a pencil, and use that as an entry point to find out everything that's fascinating about how to make an ice cube or how to tie your shoes or how to shake hands. And it's fantastic. Because you're in my ears. You've been in my ears since like the early 2010s. Um, uh, Great. Not too long after my mom passed. And oh, I'm sorry to hear it, that. It, yeah. And I, I, I'd say this uh, uh, a not fun club that, that you and I and so many people are a part of. But yeah. I, I would say it, it, there's an intimacy from all those episodes, all those hours of you and Jesse and the guest bailiffs and all that, that you have. And uh, before that, your books and stuff. So it is <laughs> all these yeah. people I got to talk to. It is, it is a little, uh, it's, it's a strange, the sensation going through my head right now, but I want to ask you this. So in Please. 2022, we have people like Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk and Branson. They all have rockets and spaceships. You got other guys who are rich, like Michael Bloomberg and Howard Schultz, Donald Trump, who ran for political office. And you used to play on the daily show that the character, the deranged millionaire yeah. in 2022, Two. That was my that was my joke on Donald Trump in, uh -huh. 20, in 2011 or 12, when he was just emerging as a as a political commentator, and was just wandering onto Fox News whenever he felt like it, because I guess he could. And I was like, we need someone like that on the Daily Show. We need to make fun of that, and uh, it kind of backfired. <laughs> well, I was to say, what would the deranged millionaire be up to these? these days and would he be the deranged billionaire i would hope the deranged millionaire lost it all in crypto or something <laughs> i mean i <laughs> i love the deranged millionaire character because it it was a it was very much a reflection of the the strange experience i had having my career kidnapped by television and making a living in a way that i'd never expected to do so i mean what was i doing before the daily show i was writing weird books of fake facts um to to delight only the strangest 14 year old child basically to delight only me i thought <laughs> and then television came along and and john and and steve jobs at apple changed my life creatively but i you know it's unseemly to say but financially you know suddenly suddenly i was making grown up money you know, I, and this is what Dicktown is about. Like, what are the benchmarks of being an adult? Like John Hunchman 
knows there's something wrong at the beginning of season two, that he is still working for teenagers. At the beginning of season one, he's still trying to convince himself that's okay. By the end of season one and the beginning of season two, he knows this is not what being a grown up is. I have to move forward in my life. Um, this is why they set these benchmarks of, you know, becoming financially independent or moving, you know, moving out of a basement or, uh, or having a, a successful relationship, you know, and I had hit a benchmark in my life of what, what you might call grown up money, not the, not the most amount of money in the world, not, not crazy money, but enough money that I felt like a deranged millionaire. I like, and that horror, what became so clear uh, is that, uh, you know, money can't buy happiness, but it can buy the conditions for happiness, which is like a chance to breathe and think about what your priorities are and be able to not live hand to mouth and to be able to be generous. Um, those are those are things that are a very short supply, and primarily because our economy is not designed to allow it. The whole system is designed to keep people in that sense of anxiety because when people are anxious about that kind of stuff or healthcare or, you know, when they don't have a sense of security, they will make irrational decisions and vote against their own interests. And I'm not going to say that one party bets on this more than the other, but that's true. I think, I think you're you're ac very accurate about that. So, you know, it was fun to explore that as the deranged millionaire. Uh, but really, you know, I, I kind of made a miscalculation when I pitched it to John. Because <laughs> I liked being the resident expert. I liked being this this sort of like dweeby know-it-all who, who is himself kind of a failure that's who john hunchman is that's who john hodgman is i'm not a i mean a, you know what i mean that's i understand that's, yeah. that's a more natural place for me to be and i pitched this idea during the occupy wall street sort of period and everything else and became somehow the voice of the one percent and suddenly my entire comedic beat was like stock market comedy which i don't know anything about <laughs> and the only reason john the only reason john said okay to it was that i had very ridiculously grown a mustache in 2011 and john was like well at least that would explain the mustache <laughs> okay <laughs> um i have to say this so you mentioned being uh doing the the uh, the very famous iconic mac and pc ads for apple and um you mentioned uh steve jobs and i'm curious what role does technology play in your life now and when you hear companies like talking about things like the metaverse what is your reaction well, I, I, you know, I've, I've reached the a stage where I went from a kind of automatic fluency with technology where I might not know what people were talking about in 1998 or then 2005 or then 2015. But if I just, if I looked at it for five seconds, whatever the new social media thing was, whatever the new uh, bit of tech was, I could, I had an intuitive sense, I could figure it out and I could think about Oh, this is interesting and this is what could be used for this or this can be used for that and that all ended with uh well it really ended with snapchat and cer certainly TikTok. i just like i can't force my fingers to download it do you know like, i don't even know i don't get i don't get what's happening like i don't get what how to do i don't know get what it's for i get i don't know how to make it i don't know how to i don't know i mean i know what it's for now but for a long time it's like oh and then like reels on instagram like how I don't know. I can't like there's a there's it feels like there's a wall in front of my face. And similarly, crypto and blockchain are just things that my brain has not yet. Nothing can penetrate that wall of incomprehension. And I'm not saying this in a snobby way. I wish I I wish I had that 
that mental dexterity to pick stuff up again and to visualize stuff and to to see beyond it. So for what you know, what is technology for me? Um, I mean, I still use my Apple computer to make everything go, and that's about it. You know, I got my I got my phone. I, I my Instagram account is John Hodgman. It's I put, I'm a very nice photographer. Um, and I guess f photographs are still allowed on Instagram from time to time instead of reels or whatever. And between uh, ads. And between ads. <laughs> my Twitter my Twitter handle is at Hodgman, H-O-D-G-M-A-N. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm reaching a point of um, uh, sort of, uh, uh, what was it, planned obsolescence. My brain is, is planning for, is already obsolete in many ways, so... We end our show with a thing that we do called pick one. And I give you a couple things and you pick one. It doesn't mean the thing that you pick is better than the other thing. And I encourage you to talk it out. So I'd like to play pick one. Take all the time you want. I am ready. Okay. So the first one is pick yes, one. I'll take it. I'll take it. Take it. The You'll take one. it. Okay. First one is going to be, uh, <laughs> let's see what you did there. Uh, it's going to be pick one, Judge Judy or Judge Wapner. Wapner. You know, they're, they're, they're both great at what they do. They're both uh, inspirations to my Judge John Hodgman podcast and character. But I, you know, it's just, I'm, I, I, I'm, you, you go with what, you know, it's like you always go with your first Doctor Who. You know, I always go with my first People's Court judge, and that was Wapner. And, uh, and, and, you know, he is the, when I gruffly, and stop deliberations in the case and say, I've heard everything I need to. I'll be back in a moment with my decision. That's my imitation of Wapner. He always did that. He was like, he was, he was, our, he was halfway out the door when he was saying that. Like he would say over his shoulder, I'll be back in a minute with my decision. Loved it. Loved that. Okay. Here's the next one. So pick one, your list of hobo names or the hot dog is a sandwich debate. You're referring to my list of 700 fictitious hobo nicknames that I listed in the areas of my expertise. My first book where I definitely was not shy about punishing the reader. And by <laughs> I hobo, love that I book, not... John. I love that book. So I don't Thank feel you. like it was punishment, but no, I, no. I know a lot of people love that book. So No, I, and by hobo, I'm, I'm not talking about the contemporary unhoused population. I'm talking about the, the self, the, the, the primarily men in the, in the 20s and 30s who w w took to living in boxcars as a lifestyle. They'd have the, and the, they had their and they had nicknames like, you know, a number one uh, or Hobo Joe uh, or Tennessee Ernie Ford or whatever. You know, like they all had nicknames. They all had little signatures that they would chalk on the sides of their boxcars. So I made a list of seven hundred fictitious hobo names, um, which was a real act of bonkersness. Uh, just went on and on and on. Seven hundred. You can't you can't can't not do it. Once you say seven hundred, you got to give them seven hundred you know, giant leathery wings Roland and frying pan Joe junk pan or whatever it was. Hot dog is a sandwich, of course, is, you know, th this is an ongoing debate throughout culture, whether or not a hot dog is a sandwich. I didn't realize how big it was when someone, you know, pre presented it to me for my Judge John Hodgman column in the New York Times magazine. I'm a, I'm a columnist as well. And I said that a hot dog is not a sandwich because you would never cut it in half. Not if you were in your right mind. People don't like me for that. People I respect, Stephen Colbert doesn't doesn't care for me for that reason. He is a, he is definitely a hot dog as a sandwich because it's meat between bread is what they is what they're going to tell you. I would love the I would love the hot dog 
is a hot dog a sandwich question to be erased from our timeline? I, I think that's maybe more what I I, I, I get from this, because I do remember your, your essay. I'm an uh, only child. I'm a super smart, afraid of conflict narcissist. That's what an only child is. Um, okay, and this one, I just again, we're just ideas to talk. So pick one, Mac or PC? Mac, of course. What are you talking about? And I've had PCs, and they're fine. Yeah, they're fine. I'll explain a little bit of the purpose of this one, because clearly it's the ad, but it's also the fact that People love you as that character PC, and, Thank you, and they people. brought you back uh, last year, was it, or the year before? End of um, 2020. End of 2020, which feels you know, like last year. Hey, Apple computer, I'm in wardrobe. I'm ready to jump back into that all day. I'm ready to make that my only job. Dicktown and being the PC, those are my jobs now. I love that <laughs> I love that campaign so much, it transformed my life, but it also reflected my, my values too, because everything that I had since you know, I owned the very first Macintosh computer. I conned my dad into getting it for us. I mean, I loved it. That was a, you know I, what I love about what I love then and still love is the idea that t technology should change itself to suit you. You don't change yourself to suit technology. And I still feel like that's the benchmark. And you know, companies are companies, and they're they're not gods or heroes. You know, they they're there for a reason to make money and so forth. But I do believe that that ethos still drives Mac more than more than than its competitions so but you know i'm a i'm a, I'm a softy i'm a sent like they, they change they changed my life i know we've mentioned it a few times but this does premiere march 3rd on fx and we can watch what was the link again for the watching season one bit.ly bit.ly slash dicktown and you know it's got all it's not just me and david reese you know we, we've got steven tobolowski in here playing my dad Kristen Schaal comes back in season two as Kendra the Psychic. Jean Grey, my dear friend and, and occasional guest bailiff, an incredible polymathic artist, Jean Grey, comes back as Monica, the cosplaying expert. Amy Sedaris is in this season. Jamie Lee Curtis is in this season. There's just incredibly talented voice cast. We got to work with all of our friends, and they're all so brilliant, Mike, and I, I hope you will enjoy them. I want to thank John for chatting with me, and I want to thank you for listening. You can watch season two of Dicktown Thursday nights on FXX and catch the first season streaming on Hulu. I'm So Obsessed was created by our executive producer, Daniel Ramirez. Our editor and lead producer is Sophia Fox Sowell, and this episode was produced by Rebecca Fleener. Please take a moment and subscribe to I'm So Obsessed on your favorite podcast app. Follow the show on Twitter at I'm So Obsessed Pod. And until next time, Take care.